So we're continuing our sermon series today on the, the, power, the power of one. This is the fourth part to a series where we have been discovering or discussing the power of the work of the Spirit in you and through you. The power of the Spirit as it works in and through you. That's what this series has been part of this discovering process has been all about. In the first week, the first session, we discussed the power of one friend and the influence you and I have in our oikos, in our personal community of of friends, co-workers, relatives, neighbors, strangers, those that oikos where God has planted you. And as, when it comes to your friendship, the influence that you have in the context of your oikos. And we followed that up in the second week when we discussed the power of one prayer and the influence you and I have as we stand in the gap for those in our oikos. Last week, Pastor Mike followed that up with, that sounds good, doesn't it? Pastor Mike followed that up with the power of one legacy. The influence that you have as parents and as grandparents. I would say even as aunts and uncles when it comes to the children that are in your family. Raising them up to have a knowledge of the faith so that one day in prayer that they give their lives over into submission to that faith. It was a powerful message last week. And I commend Pastor Mike on, on continuing this series with that. Today, as we continue to look at the power and the influence that we have as the Holy Spirit enables us as the Holy Spirit enables us to have an effect on our oikos, we're going to look at the power of one invitation. The power of one invitation. Now, my friends have, have helped me bring and spread these chairs up this morning and, and bring them up here on the stage and around here in front. This morning, I went on a little adventure. For those of you that were in a Bible study room... And you might recall as you look, oh, whenever I visited your room, you might recall that, that I asked you if I could borrow one of your chairs this morning. Now, of course, I didn't have to ask anybody to move. These chairs were already empty in your classrooms. And as you look around, you, you will recognize, you might recognize the chair that I took from, from your room. I need you to so that you can tell me where to put them back later, okay? But when you look around, you see tiny chairs, don't you? You see chairs from the children's department, from the preschool department. You see it from, you might, the youth might even see their chair around here somewhere. And two or three of our adult classes will, will see them as well. I, I ha, I, if I could have, because I, I went around and I shook. If there was a pew that was unbolted, they would have carried one of those up here too. All of this to make a point. You know what that point is? We have space, friends. We have yet to fill God's church up yet. Amen? 
Turn to your left, turn to your right, look behind you if you can bend, turn around that far, or look, go ahead and just look in front of you. And I know what you'll find is what? Space. There is space. We have space, a lot of space, just waiting to be filled. How are we going to fill it? So this isn't so much as a, maybe like an expository message as it is part of our vision talk. As we look at what our responsibility is as a church. How are we going to fill these empty spaces? That's the point of today. The power of one invitation. But before we get into it, let's watch this video on how not to go about filling these chairs. Hey, uh... You got anything going on Sunday? You don't look like someone who would. Boom! If you thought that was scary, wait till you get to hell. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you give this man the willingness to come to thee. church so here's one for you and one for your for your mama and one for your brother and one for your co-worker and one for your neighbor here 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 why, why don't you just help me why don't you just help me pass all of these out thank you thank you thank you Just take time to just, you know, you know, you know, brother. I just, I just wanted, I just. That was funny. Wait till the gag reel comes out. <laughs> it's a lot worse. Oh, we have too much fun as, as staff, I tell you what. Oh, if only we can get Dean involved, I tell you, you know. <laughs> Miss Becky, she made sure to run away that day, I tell you. Oh, my friends. In an article um, that came out in Christianity Today a few years ago, uh, they, they asked the question. They said, what, what happened to the strategy of just simply inviting someone to church. It's, a, it's a, an intriguing article. They said that uh, there was a uh, survey conducted by Lifeway of 15,000 adults in an effort to determine the best way to get people to attend church. These weren't 15,000 people who were already in church. They, you know, otherwise the sample would be tainted. They made certain to those, those that were not in church, involved in church. And they had all these different ways, sending out mailers to a home in a given zip code, 
posting an ad in a local newspaper, putting out vinyl signs at the street, hosting a community block party, things of that nature. What would get you to come to church? And this is what the research revealed. It said the best received means of seeing new people walk into and visit a church wasn't through an event, it was through a personal invitation. They said 67% of people surveyed said that a personal invitation from a family member, 63% saying from a friend or neighbor, would be either very or somewhat effective in getting them to attend their church. And this was their summarizing statement. People are open to an invite to attend church, particularly if it is from someone they know. So the big question is, is are we inviting anyone and Jesus, Jesus taught about this. Of course he did, right? Jesus, Jesus master teacher. Of course he, he taught about this. In Luke chapter 14, he talks about extending an invitation. And we're not talking about just an invitation at the ending of the service. Um, but he talks about the, a, a, a wedding invitation, actually. And it's in Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 16. This is a, a passage that we're going to read this morning to kind of put things into context. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who he had invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got hitched. So I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered, ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of the banquet. Some of us here have had the pleasure and the opportunity to plan for a wedding, right? As many of us in here have, if not your own, because you were the male side and you, you know, were like, okay, that's all on her, right? But if you were the parents of the bride, now you got something, right? Um, think, think about that. You got, you sit down and you write down all, everyone that you want to invite. And then the, uh, the, the father comes in and he goes through that list and he says, why don't you half that? I'm not paying for their free meal that day. Think about that. It's expensive to run a wedding, isn't it? If you know what I'm talking about, it's, it's expensive or just a party for that nature. And you're trying to find out who's going to come, RSVP and all that kind of stuff. And nobody sends their RSVP back to you to know and things like that. Or you're planning a birthday party for your child and you want to make certain that, you know, that they have a great day, that, you, that, the, that the house is full or the venue is full for them and that they have a really special day, especially Sweet 16 and stuff like that. You want it to be nice for them and all, if, it, if at all possible. How does it feel, though, when people don't, don't respond to the invitation? Kind of stinks, doesn't it? Right? What did, what did you do to offend them if they didn't come, right? How about, it, how about last year when we had to plan a wedding during the pandemic, right? And that was, that was a lot of fun. But we, 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 we sent out enough for 100 to show up, and there were 12 because of the wedding. We still decorated like there was 100 there and gave them the best day we could. 
But we know what it's like whenever we're, we get that invitation in the mail to, to co- go somewhere. And we're like, yeah, that's, that, that sounds fun. I, I want to be sure. Or what if you didn't get it and your friend did? That would be kind of stinky, right? Um, have we forgotten the basic, simple, necessary call to extend an invitation? I think in a lot of ways, what, uh, what, what we, the kind of rut that we get into as churches is that we hope and pray that someone would visit. We hope and pray that someone would just come through these doors. And I feel like that, 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 we, that we, we wait and we rely on that. Man, when they get here, we're going to be so inviting to them. We're going to be so welcoming. They're going to see a smile. We're going to put on, the, you know, we're going to just be so friendly. And then we wait at the doors for that new couple or that new person, that fresh face to magically appear. Have we forgotten just how important it is to just go up to that coworker and say, would you consider going to church with me Sunday? Or how about this one? You know, boys in the youth group, let me tell you now, this can work. I know it's worked because my daughter had this happen this week. Hey, my youth group's having this event Sunday night. Man, I have an awesome youth group, you know, you like to, I'll come and pick you up, you know, if you'd like to go. <laughs> Hey, it's a great way, right? Wednesday nights are awesome, right, youth? Come on now. Have we forgotten? Just go up and say. Let's just go up and, and, and just, you know, we got this great youth group. Or, or what about when it comes to VBS? How many flyers have you handed out? How many neighbors have you gone over to say, hey, we got VBS going on at our church. And we would love to have your kids come if you'd let us have them. Or middle school mania. That's right. Or how about this one? I know you're got, you've got a lot going on in your life right now. And let me tell you about the times that my church has been there for me. And I know that they will be encouragement to you. Why don't you come with me this week? Extending that invitation. Making that connection. That's what this is about. We, we tend to invite people to the things we enjoy. Right? The things that matter to us. Hey, you want to come over and watch the ball game? Or you want to go fishing or something like that? What could be more significant to invite someone to than to worship? Think about that. Pastor Nathan Cherry of Westside Christian Church writes, he says, with all our amazing marketing and social media and print advertising that we can produce, nothing is more powerful or effective than the personal invitation there is power there, not to manipulate or cajole people, but to invite them into something bigger than themselves, to them, invite them into an experience with God unlike anything they've experienced before. I think most Christians today don't really know the power they have in their ability to personally invite others to a worship service. I think we have been so distracted by life and, and have bought into the lie that we don't know enough scripture or we fear we're being re- of being rejected or we're simply too busy to invite someone else to go with us. And in so doing, we have made it more about us instead of them. But the truth is... We are a lot more effective if we would just ask. If we would just ask. I think that's why these empty chairs are so important. For us to to realize and to see that there is 
room. Whose responsibility is it to fill these chairs? I want to challenge our Bible study groups that meet every week to recognize the empty chair that's, that's in your room. I want, to, I want to challenge you as classes and as groups when you come together, when you see that empty chair in your room, to pray over that chair. To pray for that person that, that may be on your, on your role, that's part of that class that hasn't been there in a long time. But more so than that, pray for that person that you can specifically be asking and talking to your group about. Or perhaps right now as you're sitting in your pew, looking at that spot right next to you, who could you be inviting to sit next to you in worship? If, if we began that practice or we took on that challenge, every day I'm going to pray for that person. And when it gets closer to Thursday and Friday, then making that phone call or going and making that visit, stop by making that visit, and asking them, I, I mean, really the, that most introductory of questions, how might that change things here? What, what, what might that do about our prayer groups about our worship services? What might that mean when it comes to us coming together for fellowship? Pray for two, three, five different names and keep praying for them. And keep praying for them. You could say this is an extension from the other week, but I think it's more important that we recognize that we're not just to be inviting, but we are to invite. We need to have a, a missional understanding of our place, our role here at first. What keeps us from doing so? It could be false assumptions. Things that we think generally are true, but aren't. For instance, do you assume that your friend already knows who Jesus is? More and more and more, what we're finding out as surveys are being taken, we're finding out that, that religion is becoming less of an interest in our society. And I know growing up in the South, you would think that that is just, you know, unfathomable, that, you know, everybody hears about Jesus, but they usually do two times a year. And a lot of people's assumptions about Jesus or their misconceptions about church is, is based on, I think, things that happened a long, long time ago that we matured and grew up through. Or like to think that we have. But a lot of people's premise about Jesus is in a manger and on a cross. And they don't understand the connection between one or the other. They don't understand the daily need to have Christ in life. And I think that, that we sort of assume that they do. You know, some uh, confuse his teachings as being equal with that of other religions. But we know that to be false. They've been told that there's all kinds of ways to God. You choose the one that is best for you. And many have. Because to many, Jesus was just enlightened. But Jesus was more than just an enlightened individual. I hope, to, I hope that we would accept that. He was more than that. His ministry goes deeper than just some social movement. And we would be in error to think that they understand that. Because they're not. They don't. 
Some of us assume that they don't want to learn. They don't want to know Jesus. And if there's one thing that's for certain, this world needs Jesus in it more than ever. I had a phone call from a friend yesterday where her grandson was in a, was in a car wreck and the, the person that he was with, the one that was driving, died in that car wreck. And, and she, she was calling me to, to ask me to pray for him because he survived it. The, the one that died was a Christian and had been witnessing to him. And he's not. And, you know, she's already begun talking to him about that and God giving him another opportunity. And she, and she was just trying to wrestle with, you know, his, you know, his hesitation in that. And I'd said to her, you know, God gives us opportunity after opportunity until there are no more opportunities. Until our time is done. But God gives us those opportunities. We, you, and your oikos are one of those opportunities. Whether your religion is sports, fishing, drinking, work, whatever, people are searching for something to fill a void in their life. And they're trying to fill it with things that's only meant for God to fill. So here's what's happening. While we sit back believing that when they're ready, they'll walk through these doors. That they'll come through and, and fill these chairs and, their, and these pews on their own. Other groups are winning them over. Christianity is still the largest religion in the world. But some believe that in 20 years, Islam's going to take it over. And although you can find a Christian church on just about every block in every city, average attendance in a Christian church is less than 100. In some states, when Pew Research took a survey on what the fastest growing religion in America was, in some states now, and this is pre-pandemic, but when this research came out, the majority answered none, that their religion was none, N-O-N-E, none. The fastest growing religion in America, according to Pew Research, before the pandemic, was none. And according to a Gallup poll last year in 2020, 47% of Americans surveyed said that they were part of a church. 20 years before that, the same survey resulted in 70% were part of a church in some way. We've now gone into the minority. And it's to these neighbors and co-workers, to this mission field, you know that more missionaries come to America than America sends out to other nations. It has been that way for 25 years. Think about that. It's to this mission field that God has planted us. It is to your co-workers, your neighbors, to your relatives, to your oikos that God has planted you. 
And while we sit here thinking that they'll show up when they're ready, that they'll bring their children to VBS or to Awana or to youth, or they'll come to a worship service whenever. Do you think that somebody is sitting at home and they wake up one morning and they go, you know, I think my kid needs to be at Awana this week. Think about how those kids got here. Think about how you got here. How you were introduced to the faith. How you were introduced to a church. Matthew 28, 18 tells us that we're supposed to go to them. The Great Commission does not say stay and make disciples. It says go and make them. And the literal translation is as you are going, make disciples. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Jesus has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He's imploring through us. Your invite may be the invite they're waiting for. Think about that. We're studying the book of Daniel on our on our weekday devotionals online. And they're on there. You can go back and watch them anytime that you need to. But we're, we started Daniel this past week. And in a lot of ways, when we look at the, the stories that take place in Daniel's life that's recorded for us there, we look at them from the aspect of Daniel. I mean, it is called the book of Daniel, right? And so we, we, we look at them and we have looked at them in terms of, of what God did through Daniel. And how God protected Daniel and, 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 and things like that. But, but if you've been following along with me, I've been sharing with you a different perspective of the book of Daniel. Especially these first few chapters of Daniel. I don't believe that they're about Daniel so much. I believe that they're about King Nebuchadnezzar and him coming to God in faith. And we see after instant, after instant, every time that he interacts with Daniel, how he came to know God just a little bit more until the point where he finally fell before God and said, you are God. I acknowledge you as God. And at that point in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar's story is over. We don't hear anything more about him. But in these first five, six chapters of Daniel, these interactions that he has with Daniel, all this that had happened in Daniel's life got him to that point where he was before King Nebuchadnezzar and he could have an impact in Nebuchadnezzar's life. I, I think it's marvelous to look at, this, the, at the narrative in that way. Go and read it from that perspective, what God did to put Daniel in front of Nebuchadnezzar. And the things that God showed about himself through Daniel to the king. And I think the same thing about us. All the events in our life, everything that, that has taken place in our life has been to get us in front of that person. To get us connected with that friend. To put us in position in that same, on that same job site or in that same cubicle or in that same uh, in, that, in that same room, classroom, as that person that's sitting next to us, that's working alongside us. You might have, you know, you know complained and, 
and spit and cried and whatever whenever you lost that other job, but then you got into this new job and you made, and you made these connections. And I think of Esther, her being put in that position for such a time as this. I've said it before, you've heard me use this illustration before, that we are all a link. We are all a link in a chain. Some of us are connected. Some of us aren't. Some of us are looking to see, how is it that God wants to use me? Where is it, how is it that God has shaped me? You know, online on our Facebook page, you see it on your connect card there. You know, we've got a survey there, a shape study there that you can take to figure out, to, to, to start figuring out why is it that, that I am the way that I am? How is it that God has molded me? What is it that he's preparing me for? And I've said it before that we are all links to the chain. And you see on, on the stage here, I've got this big old nasty, cruddy, ugly chain. It's actually pretty dirty. I had to have a wet wipe after I handled it. You can blame Brett for that. And whenever I look at the links of, of a, in a chain, I think of all of the things that took place to be able to get me connected with Christ. I think about... Rockford Lane Baptist Church. I think about their bus ministry. I think about their youth minister, Emery Riley, Chris Platt. I think about that vacation Bible school that, that I was invited to and that that bus picked up where I've met such cohorts. I think about the people that were there. I think about Miss Faye Greco, who was my first vacation Bible school teacher. I love her dearly. And I remember all the, whenever I got into the church, I remember the Sunday school classes and I remember her silly songs that she would sing with me. That Sunday school teacher was a link in my chain. That church, that vacation Bible school, that bus ministry, that youth group. I think about about people in the church like Jim Morrison who, who took me under his wing for a spell. And then whenever I, I went off into college, I think about Doug Broom. I think about others that I connected with that were part, that they were links in my chain. And then there was a time whenever I knew and I realized, yeah, I played a role because it wasn't about me. It was about who I could connect to next. And so whenever I think about what's going on here at first, and I think about how are we to continue the connection with our community, we can look back historically, and we have done so in our vision talks, in some of the ways of how we, the things that have taken place in this church's history, great things and yes some things that you know we we would love to be able to forget and move on and move past and we are but recognizing all the links of the chain in this church's history and also in our lives personally and how are we going about connecting ourselves with that chain 
Because here's the thing. I might be connected to this chain, and it's great if I'm connected to this great network and this great history and everything that has taken part in, in, in our faith up to this point. But you know what? There's someone in my life that once I connect them to the same chain that I'm connected to, they have a relative. They have someone in their oikos. They might have a neighbor that because of the effort or maybe that invitation or maybe me sharing my faith or me connecting myself to them, that now this chain is now extended and this network continues and a legacy is being produced that is extending out. See, we play such an important role, such significant role when it comes to the legacy of this church. So sure, that brochure that you hand out or that brother that you pray for in the name of Jesus or that friend that you're fretting over and you see the, the situation that their life is currently in. And you know that, that God has something better for them. Be the link that connects them to the Lord. That is your mission field. You are the ambassador. You may very well be the connecting piece the Lord has anointed. As I said, what got you into church? I'm sure you didn't wake up one day and say, self, it's time to be in church. I shared with you how I was. But here's the thing. More than likely, you are here because someone invited you. You are here because someone invited you to vacation Bible school like myself. Or to a revival meeting. Or to that worship service. Or to that youth event. Someone sat down with you and explained in some fashion that God loves you and wants you to have a relationship with him in Christ. It took a faithful person. Now, I want to say, I want to be clear that just because someone goes to church or is invited to church doesn't mean that they're saved, right? But we need to be inviting. We need to be not just be welcoming. We need to be inviting. Do I believe that God can work on a person's heart without the church? Yeah, I do. There's great stories, especially from the Gideons, about men and women who found that Bible in that drawer in a hotel room when they were at their wits end and they gave their life to Christ as a result. God works in many miraculous and wild ways. But just as we might have some misconceptions about our community, they have misconceptions about us too. And what they need to see is they need to see a church in action. Jesus' church in action. Sacrificing for each other. Praying and encouraging and uplifting each other. They need to see people with faults who are accepted. They need to see people who are broken 
find a place of encouragement. They need to find a church who actually acts as if they're part of the family of God. Because this, this right here, you and I, you know what the Bible says about us? We're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. This place is important. Your church is important. And your place in this church is important. But even more than that, your witness and your ministry to your oikos, that's exactly where God has placed you. It's important. And we want to be able to encourage you and equip you and see that friend in your life, that coworker, that neighbor come to Christ. But here's the challenge. You've got to invite them. You got to call them. You got to say, friend, can I come and pick you up? If we don't challenge ourselves, then these chairs will remain empty. So let's take on a challenge this morning. Let me encourage you, because I know that already. You're already thinking in your life, it's just not going to happen. There's just no way. I know that person. I know that, that person, and, and I've asked them before, and they've said no. And I've asked them a second time, and they said no. And I've asked them probably half a dozen times, and they said no. Pray about it. Pray for them. Pick one, pick three, pick five names. And let me encourage you, write those names down. Put them on a card. Put them on two or three cards. Tape them on the mirror in your bathroom. Have them in your Bible. Tape them on your, the backside of your front door. But every time you see them, just stop for a moment and pray for them by name. Lord, soften their heart. Lord, soften their spirit. Lord, make them willing. Because just as I said two weeks ago in our power of prayer message, prayer changes hearts. Prayer changes lives. And if we believe that, then let's start praying for people by name. Can I challenge you in that church? Would you take on that challenge, church? Especially our small groups, when you gather together in your rooms, you see that chair and, you, and each of you look at that chair and take time every week to be praying for that empty chair and who can be filling it? Can you take on the challenge as you sit in these pews and you look next to you and you know already, it's already on your heart, the name of that person, the name of that relative, that friend that should be sitting next to you, that you have, you have hurt, and over them, you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're just passionate about them. They should be sitting next to you right now. Start praying for that person. Because I believe that the God, God has already put that person's name, that person's picture in your mind right here and now. Let's commit to doing our part as a link in the chain. Pray for them. 
invite them. Let's see what the Lord does in their lives. If we took on this challenge, and there's what, 90 people here today? If we took on that challenge, that we're going to do that during the next, say, week or the next month, and the, and the Lord blesses us in that, this place would be different. This place would look different. Don't you think? Let's take on this challenge, folks. Let's become missionaries on the mission field that God has given us. Let's change these statistics just a little bit. Let's increase these numbers. Let's see what the Lord is going to do here at first because of what we do in our oikosis.